Hello, welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. We are at the intersection of comics and politics, and this is your host, Ilana Levin, aka Twitter's Ilana Brooklyn. And this is a podcast for the sort of fans who think conversations about representation have to go deeper than litmus tests, and that whether or not someone enjoys a particular MCU movie is not an adequate litmus test for whether or not they quote-unquote support diversity in film. Oh my god, please just make it stop! Yeah, that's right. We're talking about the Eternals movie, um, a movie with whom, about whom I have nuanced opinions. And joining me, repeat guest, Brandon Wilson is a filmmaker and lecturer born and raised in Los Angeles. He attended UCLA, where he took a BA in African American Studies and an MFA from the UCLA School of Theater, Film and Television. Brandon has directed two micro-budget features, 2005's The Man Who Couldn't, which is on YouTube, and Sepulveda from 2016, which is streaming free on Vimeo. Wilson has taught film analysis for filmmakers and introduced in, and introduction to editing courses at UCLA. He also teaches at Columbia College Hollywood, Los Angeles Valley College, NYU's Los Angeles branch, and Long Beach City College, where he teaches classes on auteur filmmakers, national cinemas, the essay film, and diversity in cinema. Welcome back. It's great to be back. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I um, you know, I I feel like we were talking about this movie in advance, and you were one of the opinions I really wanted to get. And um, you're so definitely a Marvel completist, so there was never any question that you were going to watch it. But for me, I definitely was. I don't know <laughs> this how this is going to feel. Um, and I basically watched this movie because I felt like it was my duty to do it for the podcast, which is not how I treat every Marvel product. Like, you guys may have noticed we haven't covered um, What If. Like, it is not my job to cover every Marvel product, guys. But um, I thought there would be an interesting conversation to be had around the movie uh, as film, as, like, its place in the Marvel Universe, its relationship to the Kirby comics, which you read um, in preparation for this as well as the Neil Gaiman stuff with JRJR, very interesting. And, um, you know, I, I, I want to apologize, guys, this is definitely coming out after the bulk of the quote unquote Eternals discourse has passed, but perhaps that gives us an opportunity to be more thoughtful or you actually watched the movie twice. So, you know, you were even being more reflective about it. I would say just as the jumping off point, I do want to give Oh, right. I want to start off with some just brief spoiler free analysis on like literally should you should people bother to see this movie? Mm -hmm. um, and then we're going to keep keep that brief and then get into the real conversation. Um, wh what is what is your take? Well, um, I would say that you have to Eternals is a very mixed bag. And I think that if nothing else. You gotta hand it to Marvel, and I always feel like I'm talking about a fascist regime or something when I say you gotta <laughs> hand it. You, you gotta hand it to, and I do not by any means uh, think of Marvel Studios that way. But you know, you gotta hand it to them that for all of the guff that they take, and not not necessarily wrongly for being part of the machine and sort of the the sort of perfect embodiment of sort of uh, corporate filmmaking. Um, this is a weird very weird thing for them to do. It's a very risky project. Um, there's just no way around it. Like you can't really, you know, this is not, if this was a corporate entity that cared button about nothing, but sort of maximizing profits for, you know, the, for the, for the mothership, this is not what you would do. You would not do the, the Eternals by any stretch. Um, so yeah, I think that it's an, it's it's a very interesting choice, and so I was very intrigued. I think like a lot of people, like a lot of people, when the Eternals was sort of uh, uh, when that when that was um, when it was announced, it was this kind of mix of like sort of surprise and there's a certain and being intrigued, uh, and then of course hearing who was taking it on uh, Chloe Zhao. So for people who I think. In some ways, I would tell a lot of people to skip Eternals only because, you know, it, it is in some ways for the Marvel completists. And yet, I think I kind of want people who don't really know Marvel well and don't like Marvel uh, movies much. It's kind of important, I think, in some ways for them to see it because it sort of lays waste to this sort of 
the cliche that that Marvel basically all Marvel movies are the same, and that's you know so much of the criticism of superhero movies of comic book movies are are clearly leveled by people who don't really watch them and don't know them very well, yeah. and they've seen one, and maybe they haven't seen one since the whole you know this whole uh, project began, and they will take that to the grave that this is the problem with them because I saw one one time and I didn't like it. When of course it's a it's sort of a diverse group of films and and there are some that really work well and some that completely conform to the stereotype and this does not I mean for all the things you might have to say and I got a lot of things I don't care much about for the, the about in terms of Eternals uh, it's bold it's and it's definitely it defies all the stereotypes. Uh, of what a Marvel film is, and and um, that doesn't necessarily make it good, but that certainly I think you have to respect the effort. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting experiment. Um, I I don't think that it went as far from the mold as it would have taken for me to be like super interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I. It definitely was a movie that left me with lots to say and think and talk about. Um, but I've seen, you know, plenty of better stuff this year, obviously. Uh, I think, like, if you're someone like me who doesn't see every single thing Marvel does but sees most of them, I would put this in that definitely worth checking out category. But I'm not putting this in my, like, can't miss movie of 2021 list, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I know, I think it has. I think there's a lot of rich conversation to be had around it, if that's something that you're here to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, like me, are coming at this as a huge Kirby fan, this is not doing the same things as him. But no. it's not like spitting in the memory of his vision. Like, this is not like... In- <laughs> My problems with, like, the Mr. Miracle comic series are much more extensive <laughs> with their treatment of Kirby's work than than this would be. Like, I don't... I don't think this is like this is not this movie is not doing the same things Kirby was trying to do really, but it's also not like trying to destroy his premises or belief systems or anything. So like right. that's okay. And there's a couple of moments in it that have some like real Kirby to them, but this is definitely a different. I mean, guys, look at the art direction, right? Like it's not this is not the same boat. But there is a mm-hmm. moment in this movie where there goes a giant ass hand and a crazy space hat coming out of the ocean. <laughs> and um, that's Kirby, if you have ever seen it. Yes. So from here on, 100% spoilers, 100% of the time. Uh, and I guess I will start with a question. I mean, like, so you, you did enjoy the movie. Would that be fair to say? I saw the movie uh, the first time by myself, and I largely liked it. I thought it was a little slow in parts, and it felt a little long. Um, then I had to go a second time, uh, taking my wife and child, my young child, um, to see it and at a drive-in, I should add. And I enjoyed it a lot less. And it might be that this, it just doesn't hold up well to a second viewing. Mm. It might be that my wife was enjoying, was not enjoying it and really could not take a lot of the screenplay and that the dialogue was weak. Um, or just, you know, yeah, it just, it just wasn't. And also I think the drive-in is not perhaps the most optimal a uh, place for uh, a film like this to 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 see it. So I'm going. I I I don't. You know, MCU films only a few. What I really call outright bad. You know, like I have I have I have uh, um, you know upset a lot of film Twitter by saying that uh, for a long time that I that I didn't think marvel studios had ever made an outright bad film it may not be your taste it may not be your cup of tea but they were they were all pretty strong this is the first year this year in general i think that's changed i think that black widow is pretty pretty bad and an uninteresting and just oh wow yeah i didn't care for it at all i thought falcon and winter soldier well, there's a whole episode of us well yeah about we, that. That, we talked about why that was terrible <laughs> yeah that go was back and listen to that yeah that one's outright terrible black widow i get that some people enjoy it find something out of it, get something out of it. I don't really see anyone yeah. gets anything out of Falcon and Winter Soldier. And I think it, you know, uh, uh, raises the question that perhaps Marvel has begun to overextend itself and that, mm. you know, there's just too much going on. They've, you know, a lot of the first class, the, the sort of first wave of folks are, are have departed. 
Um, with Disney, now that they're expanding into Disney Plus um, series, I do sort of find myself wondering if this is, you know, the whole thing is, the, the formula is sort of weakened because it's just spread too thin. And, you know, they're trying to sort of do new things and that's great, but, they you know, the new things have to work. And I'm really finding this year that a lot of their 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 you know movies and TV shows are very hit or miss for me right now, and I well, used to be all in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing that I'm really seeing is an interesting phenomenon. I have a lot of friends who during during this COVID period really got into MCU stuff, which they hadn't really been following much before. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been having this thing where on the one hand, like all of the sort of Marvel nerds who certainly came at it from comics and have been following things from early on, we're at a moment where we're like really tired of the same old, same old and have mm -hmm. maybe holding things to higher standards than we have had before. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, there's like this wave of new people from whom I know, a lot of whom are women who are just coming into this and have a lot of energy towards it and are really excited about it and often excited about it in really interesting ways that I hadn't necessarily even f foreseen, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you have half this, I mean, this is probably not 50-50, but you have a chunk of the viewership who are like, okay, guys, please tell me there'll be no more sky anuses and, like, you need yeah. to make stuff up again. I'm tired of, like, actually, the villain is right, but he's going about it badly. Like, all of these sort of tropes are played out. Right. Meanwhile, I have some friends who are newer and finding some really interesting things to say about the movies that they're watching, including ones that I'm a little bit bored of talking about or seeking out things. A good friend of mine, my friend who I went to see this movie with, Rena, she wanted to see Eternals because uh, she loves Camille Nijani. Mm -hmm. And she also loved the Loki show. And when mm -hmm. I told her about my whole thing about how Kingo in the comics is literally Toshiro Mifune. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's awesome that Jack Kirby is like, that actor, you know? Yeah, he's like an immortal and dying god. My friend went into this whole thing. She's like, oh, my God, I think that's such a cool idea. You know, Bollywood in some ways is like, you know, is like, is like it would be like to 20, the 2021 sort of film from other places that people in America are, are like excited to see. So mm -hmm. it makes sense to transpose that there. And like, she was just all about ex being excited to watch this movie for Kingo, which is hilarious because like so many people have been saying before the movie, like, ah, nobody cares about them. Like, eh, you know, actually Camille dejani has got a fuck ton of fans, you know? Right. Um, so it was interesting sort of seeing these responses. Um, I, I feel like I was really ready for a, a, a much bolder change and pivot and i really wanted to see marvel play with genre more in this i felt like this movie was a lot of different genres without committing to them like mm -hmm. halfway like more than halfway done i'm like oh is this supposed to be a whodunit because there's literally no tension right um, i'm like that would have been cool and have it be a whodunit but i guess it's not um but, you know, all appreciation to the lack of sky anus and to some of the inversions being different from what we've seen before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, introducing a whole team of people at the same time is really fucking hard. You can only yeah. do so much. And she did produce some characters who I'm interested in. I mean, one thing that I will say that really struck me is the j characters that Jack Kirby created that he clearly spent the most time and care and love on, like Cersei and... Um, I mean, I would say especially Cersei uh, is is not well served, and and Thena, frankly, in some ways, is not well served by the movie. Mm -hmm. like, not that well served the movie, but I think the comics versions are more interesting. Yes, but the characters that Kirby just kind of did like a very brief one off about and didn't really go deep into definitely benefited from the movie. Yes. Like, I love Markery. I love Druig. They're super interesting. Right. Um, and then the characters that came after him, like Gilgamesh, I actually don't have as much familiarity with. But I thought like in some of the spaces where there just wasn't as much material to work from, the movie like did some interesting and cool choices with those characters. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that um, the sort of, yeah, the sort of A-list Eternals, the ones who, yeah, clearly are sort of the leads in the original Kirby, it is interesting how much they were sort of sidelined by the story or just kind of blanded out a little bit and just not yeah. as interesting. Yeah. Versus, uh, yeah, Makari as for, for isn't in it a whole lot, but yeah, that she definitely is one of the people that makes a strong impression. Um, I will say, and we're, we're into the spoiler part, right? 
Oh yeah, hundred okay. percent. Okay, I will say that the twist um, of that where the sort of using Druig as a red herring because you just walk in knowing that Druig is going to be sort of the Loki Maximus kind of like figure who's um, the one who's going rogue, even though he has very good reasons for it. Um, and t- the, for them to turn that on its head and have it be Icarus um, be the one who is the problem, I thought that mm-hmm. kind of saved the film. Um, yeah. Like if that, you know, if that hadn't been there, I would have, I would have, I would think I'd, I'd rank this lower. But that was a re- that's a really interesting choice. And of course, it's like Marvel getting to play around with things like the boys and part of the sort of bad Superman run of uh, that we're so obsessed with these days. Where what happens when the person who's sort of the the best of the group, the most powerful, sort of what if they go rogue and everyone has to now uh, turn against them? But it worked, and mm-hmm. I think that. Um, you know, the fact that this is a, they're introducing a team from scratch allowed us to do something that kind of bold and daring, you know, you're not going to have a, you know, there's a very few number uh, of geeks that are going to be really upset that Icarus um, has not turned out to be, yeah. you know, the, the good guy. No one, it's not that, you know, yeah, Eternals is not a title that inspires that kind of, um, you know, um, there, there are people who know it and like it, but it's not something that people yeah. are that kind of obsessed with. Which is I great. Mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, for me, I, I don't like the. No, no. This is not a complaint about Kirby's writing of the character Icarus that he invented, but like, I'm not particularly interested in the character Icarus right. in the comics. I think having him be the bad guy here was cool, and the movie absolutely conveyed in a very visceral way how completely terrifying and menacing his eye beams are. Like, mm-hmm. that is one of the things that I thought it took really well from Kirby and made really physical. Is that like, wow, those eye beams are fucking terrifying, and I do not want those anywhere near me. Yeah, um, like. They conveyed that power really well. This, 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 his figure sort of hovering off the page at an angle with the rays coming out of his eyes has always been really uncanny in the comics, and that mm-hmm. definitely made it to the screen. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I think like his narrative made sense. Yeah, you know, he's obviously yeah. wrong, but like I, yeah. I but it, it's justified by the story. Um, you know, I definitely was disappointed. I felt like Selma Hayek was underutilized. Yes. I mean, yes. she's wonderful. She also would have been great as comics version of Circe, right? Like, it kind of broke my heart to, like, yes, not yes. have her. Right? Like, the super charismatic and, like, living her best yes, life, yes. Circe of the comics. Well, you it's know, funny because I, I, yeah. Hayek, Hayek and Angelina Jolie, both, both of them could have been Circe or would have been Circe, you know, in the 1990s or early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's and you can see them and playing a Circe more like the, the comic Circe that we all love that sadly is not in this film. But yeah, yeah, it is interesting seeing them now having sort of aged into sort of a... Um, you know, the next sort of tier of the, the group. But yeah, Ajax, unfortunately, yeah, it, it's uh, it's great that they that we have this, you know, 50-something uh, Latina Arab uh, woman uh, in charge. But right, but then it, it, it dawned on me very early on or a while ago that she's clearly not in very much of the film just from the, the lack of, you know, there's not a diversity of scenes of her mm-hmm. uh, in it. And, um, and even her character, I thought, like her powers, I thought well, there was a lot of missed opportunity. I mean, yes, she's a healer and I felt that they leaned a little too much into sort of the Earth Mother thing, which yeah. You know, it just, (laughs) I think it could have been a little more interesting than that. I mean, if she can heal, then that means that she's effectively does, she can do organic organic matter, what Cersei can do to inorganic matter. And that has a lot of very potentially, um, cool slash horrifying implications and I would have liked to have seen her be a little more formidable you know when when Icarus I mean when Icarus takes takes her down that should have been that should have been a little bit more of a like you know we're not sure who's gonna who's gonna win here yeah. um, yes he's yeah. the, he seems to have the you know he's got the sort of the, the sort of Thor uh, sort of power but yeah I think that they could have done a little bit more with her um, and yeah it's too bad although you know as I as I the second time I'm watching this, I'm realizing that, you know, 
there's a chance we'll see all these people, even the ones who oh, died yeah. again, because you know they're and, and you know how Marvel Studios loves to bring people back, but it's not really them. It's like the another version. It's another you know it's it's them, but it's not them. It's the the person you saw is dead, but this is another copy of them. This is another timeline version. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure we will hopefully get to see some of these. I, I mean, I have no idea what their plan is here. Clearly, there's going to be. You know, they haven't announced that there's necessarily a sequel. I think we all assume there's going to be a series. I mean, and, and you know, it's it's we don't know really how much they're going to be integrated uh, in. And as you talked about in the podcast about the comics, you know, it's very clear Kirby kind of wanted to keep this thing separate from the rest of that stuff and the rest of yeah. the, you know, and I don't know. Yeah, we'll see what, how much they are integrated into the to the rest of the MCU. Um, that's something else I'm noticing uh, lately is that I feel like the MCU is getting a little more decentralized and I'm not sure that that's necessarily good. I mean, maybe it is, maybe it is good that there's not as much overlap. There's not as much, um, you know, I mean, we just had before, um, before Eternals, we had a movie with a, a, a nearly immortal bad guy. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that there was no attempt to, you know, put Athena cameo into Shang-Chi and to show that, you know, uh, Wu his father, had crossed paths with an Eternal who recognized that, okay, you're not one of us, but you're, you, you clearly are, are also, um, you know, tapped, have tapped into something that gives you uh, immortality. It's interesting that they're not taking advantage of that, you know, or the mm-hmm. ancient one or, you know, it's just it seems like they're a little bit more now about making sure that each thing is its own thing. And I, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I I'm curious where that influence has come from. I feel like it's grown as things have gone. And maybe now that they are such an established um, brand, there's not as much feeling that they need to do this sort of overlap that makes, you know, uh, a Marvel geek squeal uh, with Glee. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, it's interesting they didn't do a lot or that they didn't, you know, they didn't try to, to seed in uh, Eternals into anything sooner. I mean, it is very risky to just boom, here they are. They're, they're, here's all 10 of them, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, but but it just, it just seems like that's the direction things are headed in where things are a little more um, separate and more more of you know decentralized group of independent states than this sort of you know united thing the problem is when you're starting with like 10 new characters Mm -hmm. you're it feels like you're not going to be able to give in you know in a two in change our movie you can't really give everyone their due which means that almost by default you end up with a movie where you're like look at this really diverse cast except you don't actually spend time with the whole really diverse cast that's right like I love Markery, and as but as you said, she's like not in a ton of it. Um, my friend Felicia yeah. Perez, frequent podcast guest, uh, you know, political organizer and activist, also teacher. She had something that she said to me. She, we we couldn't we couldn't schedule it so everybody could be on at once. But um, she said to me something that I thought was really significant about Markery, which was um, and this is my quote from her: "They did a horrific job of silencing the deaf actor and character by giving them like almost zero lines." They were the most like the audience, mixed race, young, and seeking more of a voice. Um, and yeah, like that's true. Like, they were scared to, like she's so charming and magnetic yes. while she's on, but they give yes. her so little to. I'm just really glad that she and Druig are in space together, and they're going to run into yes. you know the Guardians of the Galaxy, presumably. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like it becomes when you have so many people introduced at once, you end up spending a lot of time with some of these white dudes yet again, right? And um, <laughs> you know. One of the things I really wanted to sh- to comment about now, though, is um, before I saw the movie, I saw a number of people saying, you know, the Eternals blames a black gay superhero for Hiroshima. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to withhold judgment and watch the movie before I determine if this is the case or not. Now, I will say that the reason that this is one of the lines that people have taken about the movie is because they don't give Festos, Festos a ton of other stuff to do, be or say. Right. Back to my point about when you have this very diverse team, but it's like 10 freaking people, you're not going to actually spend enough time with people. Right. But I want to be clear. Festos blames himself for Hiroshima. The movie does not blame Festos for Hiroshima. Correct. Uh, I think that's a very deliberate, at least I don't think so. I think it's a very cynical reading. Like the movie should not have had him at Hiroshima. It's offensive. It's not handled with the gravity it needs. No. And it's like not treated as it, it could have, if it was up to me, I would have had it be like, 
trench warfare with machine guns right. and have him overlook saying that because that's clearly about technology like Hiroshima happened to Japan because of fucking like it's white supremacy and you've right. just written that out of it and it's also genocide in a way that like the World War One front lines is an atrocity but it's not a genocide sorry yes. I seem like I might be talking over you I don't know if you have thoughts no about no no, no. I'm, I'm just saying yes 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 I agree um, that was very clumsy and kind of weird. Just the, the sight of them just sort of walking around Hiroshima, like, you know, it just, not to be cinema sins or anything, but, you know, it, it just, it just, yeah, it was very clumsy and weird. Um, you know, I mean, I, I have mixed feelings about a lot of this sort of like, yes, I get with the Eternals. Okay, well, let's back up a little bit. I think the, the first thing conceptually that I sort of di- didn't really care for is the sort of red herring that they are these space gods, that they are Olympia is a planet and they are not mm-hmm. of Earth. When I, What I love about Kirby is this idea that the Celestials come, they see our, our, ans- our, our primitive ancestors and they start doing things and out of that comes three things, right? The, the Deviants, the Eternals, and sort of man as we know, uh, as we know him uh, today. Um, mm-hmm. The idea that they're interconnected, and I, I miss that. I miss the fact that mm. these are three that the Eternals are of Earth. You know, they they are yes, they are they're they're half alien, they're half, but they're not completely removed, and that's gone from the film. You know, the idea mm. that and the deviants, of course, you know, have being changed and not having not giving them a society and a, a sort of thing. You know, get, getting rid of the whole history, reducing them to just sort of these sort of um, you know beasts essentially that have yeah. to be wiped out it's a it's a real loss um and I makes agree. the it makes the film it, it, it could have been just so much more complex and interesting and you know it just it's simpler and easier and i just and even though it turns out to be a red herring that olympia doesn't exist and i don't know if it's just that they're tired of giving creating these sort of cities you know the golden hmm. city in wakanda or atalan or what and maybe they're tired of that they didn't want to have in like an eternals uh, city but uh, I miss that, and I miss the idea that the Eternals, um, that they're part of us, that there is an inter, they're inter- interconnected. They're not just these aloof space gods who've who've hovered, you know, uh, in the in the background and occasion and, and hand us stuff too. And of course, you talked about it in the last podcast with the guests about the sort of the the problematic sort of implications of giving of of assigning to much of human history the great advances to these space gods who hand people yeah. things instead of saying no people are just especially non-white people are just really ingenious and come up with these things on their own um yeah it's it's all sticky and so yeah i i, I th- these are things of adaptation that i kind of that right away, having read the original source material, I just didn't really love those choices. Um, you know that they made yeah. out right out the right out the gate. Yeah, I just I I you know I think that um, the movie didn't really resolve any of the potential ickiness about it, but it didn't make it any worse. At least that said, one thing that folks really did tell me was that they appreciated you know seeing. Places like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon and, you know, like big metropolises of like pre, you know, conquest of like genocide of, you know, of Latin America, Uh, like seeing that brought to life on screen, which we hadn't really seen in that way before was really powerful for a lot of folks. I thought they were beautiful. Um, So to the extent that it's something to like even show those spaces and fantasies. That is kind of cool. I totally agree. And it really makes you think about how, yeah, how few films bother, how much our imaginations, how limited they are in terms of, yeah, not going to these places. And, and, you know, I know that's definitely why, uh, Ms. Zhao was hired because of the, you know, idea that she was going to be able to, um, bring these places to life and really handle them and treat them the way she does, you know, the reservations in her first two films and sort of the communities of the nomads and nomad land. So yeah, there, there's definitely something to that. Um, but of course, you know, you kind of wish that a lot of that had been taken further, um, that, you know, it had moved into, um, you know, I think casting Zhao, another thing I would say about, 
this in terms of uh, where Marvel Studios is at is I'm starting to, I think that this method they have of hiring people who are not genre folks, who are not mm-hmm. necessarily veterans, who have like 20 films to their credit, um, maybe we're getting to, we're coming to the place where that's becoming a problem as well. And I don't just mean Chloe Zhao. I'm also talking about the writers. You know, I just, yeah. the, the writers are pretty green. And um that's just you know it is it is what it is i mean great for them they're they're getting an opportunity i think you know they haven't had a lot of credits in the traditional sense it's just not the way that movies usually like this are usually made usually people have to sort of make their bones as they say in the mob and really build up to something like this and here you know these they're giving a rather complex narrative to you know a group of somewhat untried filmmakers and mm-hmm. you know i think that that's some of those choices, I have to wonder if the fact that the movie so often takes the sort of easy way out with a lot of these questions and the, the narrative, um, you know, how much of it is that the sort of inexperience of the of the of the filmmakers, um, and, and in general, just their sort of inexperience, um, you know. And Zhao, of course, has been a lot has been made about her, um, what she brings to it, and the fact that she's not someone who's particularly done um, action sequences and things like that. Um, or even just worked with act with stars. I mean, the big problem here is that she is robbed of her big, the sort of the the the, the tool in her in her arsenal, which is to take people's lives and to you know have them bring their own life experience directly into the narrative. So it was interesting to see her not being able to work with that. Um, and you know, honestly, I'm not sure that that uh, you know. In the absence of that, she really distinguished herself, um, you know, beyond some of the shots. It felt very much like her um, in the exteriors. You know, a lot was made of the fact that they went to the actual locations. They went to the Canary Islands um, and so forth rather than doing green screen, which is more the way these things are done. But when Mm -hmm. they, you know, you hire Chloe Zhao, that's you're going to do you're going to do it her way. Um, so yeah, I mean, and then of course she, of course, brought her own influences into it. Um, she talked a lot about, uh, you know, Terrence Malick and the sort of, you know, moments of there, those, a few moments that definitely felt lifted from there. And one of my things is I, I just feel like the, the real influence here, the real, the filmmaker that I want to see someone channel and make Eternals is Pedro Almodovar. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> that's who I feel like has the sense of the camp and the sort of mm-hmm. the weirdness and the sort of uh, sort of you know Cersei. I mean Cersei. Is yeah, I was a, gonna say yeah. Cersei is definitely an Almodovar character. I love yeah, it. yeah, I love yeah. It. And that's that's the that's the shame um, that that's the thing that I really mourned and that's the thing that and seeing it a second time only brought it more so. I mean Cersei and then you again you and you and your guests talked a lot about her and how kind of unique she is and special and this was exactly what we all didn't want to see. You know, they they basically made her into this sort of earnest um, character who's kind of a bore, you know, and there's mm-hmm. just not much they they keep they make her a phone addict. That's like the one I feel like the sort of one. And for my people who are listening who don't who who are just watching the films in the in the comics, Cersei is a very central figure in the Eternals narrative. But Cersei is, I hate to say influencer because that's sort of it has such negative connotations. Um, but she's a she's a bon vivant, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's it's more bon vivant. I guess the the female version of that. She's a life <laughs> of the party. She is someone who, yeah, she loves humanity. She loves fun. She likes to party. She's someone that you imagine winding up at the factory with Andy Warhol, yes, you know, and, 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 and telling everyone that she's an immortal and not being coy about it. Yeah, um, yeah. People will be like, sure you are, honey. You're yeah. really great, though. So we'll just keep right, this. Right, right. Maybe one person really believes her. Right. And that's the it's interesting, too. And, you know, as people have noted that with. MJ, you know, and then in the uh, Mary Jane and and the various live action Spider Man, that the idea of these characters, female characters who are basically fun, we're very uncomfortable with that right now. We're yep. very yeah, we don't really know that seems to be running a ground running a file of feminism, and so we tend to make, I mean, have turning her into this very you know kind but earnest school teacher, school mom mm-hmm. basically was just felt wrong and just felt. Yeah. 
you know, uh, and just very obvious and sort of lazy and, but you know, that, that, that's where we're at. And I'm not saying that, you know, Gemma Chan, I'm not sure she, how she would have handled, it would have been fun to imagine, see her do the other way, but it was, it's a shame that, you know, Cersei really kind of is just kind of ironed out so much and, and all of the things that make her kind of unique are sort of are, are smoothed away. I mean, the idea that a female character who is the life of the party is sexist is just actually sexist, right? Right, like, right. No, like, it's, there's, are, are, are you devaluing people who are the life of the party? Because I think right. that's actually a very valuable thing to bring to the table. Like, have you guys gone through COVID this year? You know, like, some, like, I mean, maybe I'm speaking because I'm a bit of an extrovert. Okay, I'm actually the biggest <laughs> extrovert. But, like, y'all need us, okay? Yes. So, um, but yeah, I thought like some of the characters, you know, it was, um, I don't know. It feels like there was so much that people were choosing to read into it that had to do with whether they wanted to see this movie as a reflection of like whether a Marvel movie could be like quote unquote real cinema or not. And I'm like, all movies are, are movies. I don't know what to tell you guys there. Yeah. But, you know, Felicia told me that she actually had not been a big fan of um, Nomad Land, and I noted, in fact, oh, okay, yeah, I hadn't seen it. Um, she, Felicia, she noted that like the, the actual like source material had a lot of people of color in, it, and then the movie suddenly didn't. So it's really yeah. interesting because I think people have this idea that inherently a creator of color is going to make sure that there's diversity in all spaces, but like that's not necessarily nope. so. No, it is not. No, it is not. Yeah, no, and I, I, I'm not. I mean, and those of you who follow me on Twitter, you know that I've, uh, I'm very much a Chloe Zhao. Um, I wouldn't say hater, but I'm definitely a skeptic about her. And there are, there's a lot about Nomadland that I did not care for. I, the, uh, yeah, you're taking an inherently political work and you're sort of scrubbing it all away so that you can tell the story about American free spirits, you know, and the, and mm -hmm. the, the romanticizing this thing, which really should not be romanticized. Um, as for earlier two films, I'm not a huge fan of the writer. Um, you know, I, I find it a little, it, it, I find it somewhat exploitative, um, the writer. I, like, I'll, I'll, I'll just say it. I know that I'm in the minority here, and I know a lot of people were big fans of it. But the way that people who are um, disabled and who are who have suffered traumas, um, the way that they're showcased and the way that that's sort of milked for emotion just really makes me uncomfortable. Um, you know, and and so yeah, there's a lot about her that I'm I'm. I'm personally, and I, I wanted to sort of check that at the door and just sort of give mm -hmm. this movie a chance. Um, and again, it's not, it's, you know, I don't think it's a terrible film. I just think that, you know, the inexperience of the filmmakers was very evident for me in terms of, yeah, just very soft choices, just not strong ones, not, and, and keeping this a little too long. I, I think that maybe everyone was just given a latitude that maybe they, they needed to have be, be sort of have reined in a little bit and to make choices to not be put in a position where they're introducing not just 10 characters, but this whole other sort of this whole new cosmology um, or origin story. So, you know, it has to be said that Chloe Zhao's really kind of put as much as she fought for the position and for the job and really wanted it. This is a really kind of not, it's not a really enviable position for a, a relatively young filmmaker, even one very successful to be in, to have to introduce this such a huge um, new uh, element to the Marvel Universe in just one film, 10 characters in this whole new origin story. Um, it's, it's tough and, uh, it's difficult. Also, she wasn't able to use a lot of her, um, the team that she's used to specifically, uh, I believe his name is Joshua James Richards, who last I heard was not just her cinematographer, but also her boyfriend. It, it's very clear, oh. very clear that in the, they go back together from to NYU and, you know, it's very clear that Marvel was like, yeah, no, thank you. And they gave her Ben, uh, uh, ben Davis, I believe it is. Um, let me verify that. Ben Davis is the sort of house DP uh, for, has become the house DP from, yes, Ben Davis uh, from London. He He's sort of the house DP for, for Marvel. I think he shot Stardust and he shot... Um, 
layer cake way back when probably was like his first thing he did. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And so he's sort of the house DP and you'll notice that he is, he, he shoots a lot of first films and then doesn't do the sequels or he doesn't have a track record of being asked back by the director. Hmm. So like he did the first guardians, but not the second he did age of Ultron, but he didn't do the first one. And he, of course he didn't go on to do any more. He did Dr. Strange and captain Marvel, but he's not doing either sequel. So it kind of feels like he's the guy they bring in. Cause they know, look, he's not going to, he's not going to get nominated for an Oscar, but he knows what we want. And, you know, it is, I think it's too bad that she wasn't able to sort of work more with sort of her team. And of course she edits her own stuff and she didn't do that here. She had editors. Uh, one of whom was Dylan Titchener, who I can't remember if Dylan Titchener used to work with Paul Thomas Anderson or Wes Anderson, but one of the Anderson. So, you know, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, Definitely a test in some ways for her to sort of do her thing without her usual method and without her usual collaborators. So, mm. yeah, yeah. And listeners, by the way, there's a reason why this episode is coming to you super late. Um, there's several reasons, but one of them is I was having tech issues. So this is me and Brandon doing uh, a second recording session um, because I really loved our conversation and just wanted to close it out. Um, but yeah, I, I felt like people really. In the, from watching the trailers, everybody wanted to talk about how awful the cinematography was. And yeah. I just, I was just so entertained because um, I was kind of like, now, now you realize this? Like, it doesn't <laughs> seem to be any more egregious than most. And right. I don't know. Did you feel like it was, it was just pretty bog standard? Yeah, enough to say. I mean, it's yeah, pretty standard. I feel like it still felt like Chloe Zhao. You know, there were still mm. shots that felt like her work. You know, the you know, the, the all the exteriors and use of natural light and the sort of like magic hour kind of shots. The the longing looks between Icarus and Cersei. I mean, that felt like her. You know, so mm -hmm. that again. You know, to I hate to spoil people's uh, spoil a good narrative here, a good evil overlord narrative. But you know, I, I think that it's a little bit people get a little bit hyperbolic when they are, are attacking Marvel as this sort of soul crushing, you know, um, uh, widget factory. I mean, it, these people are are doing people are whatever the whatever the flaws may be with the film. I don't think it's because. The filmmakers are being crushed utterly. I mean, yes, there are people who like Edgar Wright who who have to part company because their vision is just so divergent. But you know, I don't think that uh, the weaker films in this series it isn't because they took some really dynamic filmmaker who does something and then the film is completely unrecognizable. It mm -hmm. might just be that this, you know, they didn't get to work with maybe the collaborators they wanted to, or, the, you know, there might be some issues. I'm not saying these are all perfect films by any stretch, but I don't think you can just say that it's because Mar you know, Kevin Feige likes to sit back and, you know, fantasize about, about making great filmmakers, uh, turning them into TV directors. I mean, these people are getting mm -hmm. a chance to express, to, to sort of bring themselves to it. I think that he would be foolish to ignore that, that the biggest successes he's had, like Guardians of the Galaxy and um, Black Panthers, because the filmmaker was able to actually bring something of their DNA and, you know, right. put it in there and make it personal and make this, you know, clearly their work. So, well, you know, the thing, the thing for me is like, you know, I, I don't, I'm not asking any movie to be loyal to Jack Kirby's aesthetics, but if you're mm -hmm. going to not do them, offer me something really compelling and interesting and different. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I didn't find the aesthetics to be interesting or enough to make me feel like, like I was not expecting them to look like anything from the Kirby art, but if you're not going to do right. there, like offer me something that like will make me say you didn't do this, but you did that, and that's cool. But right. it was like, mm. and like I said, like there's amazing things like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, but there's I yeah. I wanted to be more if they were gonna if they were gonna not do my guys' stuff, I wanted them to really show me why they were going with a different direction, and I feel like it's still partially this like well we need to make things darker or else they're not realistic when it's like guys nothing right. about this is realistic <laughs> why this is right. no one came here for that and it's not right. really helpful i mean one of the things that i felt the movie conveyed extremely well actually that um you know like icarus is 
just shooting eye beams from his head, hovering menacingly above the ground at an angle, like is actually even creepier in the movie than it is in the comics. It's also not supposed to be creepy in the comics per se. It just is. So <laughs> shout out for that. But um, uh. yeah, I I I'm, I, uh, I I I was hoping for a little bit more of a look, and I I I did think like there was a mo- you know you, I know we were both disappointed in how the um, how the deviants were portrayed, but mm-hmm. there was something beautiful to them. And I liked that um, the human, God, there's so few humans that they have us in there to be invested in, but uh, that can, uh, that Kingo's human um, like yeah. assistant was like, I was like, no, that's actually really beautiful. And it was kind of a nice little call attention to people that like, yeah, these monsters, they are beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I they're not, have, they're yeah. not, they're not crow. They're not, not you know, they're not, they don't yeah. have my boy crow, but yeah, right. they're beautiful. No, I could have um, lived with the design. The design wasn't the issue. It just, you know, I, I actually completely get um, that the the why they made the change from the comics. And right, you don't expect it to be Kirby. And I completely agree that it, you know, it's they didn't offer anything super compelling to replace it with. Just sort of another dysfunctional family sort of story with a lot of sort of you know neo-realist gestures in terms of some the approach here and there, which is you know an interesting choice. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree that, uh, and it is of course interesting that, uh, Thor Ragnarok actually went very Kirby mm-hmm. and, you mm-hmm. know, went very strong in that direction. It can so be it, done. It, yes, yeah. it, it can be done. Right. Right. But clearly they did. That was not the vision that they had for it. And, you know, I, you know, that's, that's, it is what it is. I mean, they, they decided to go in a slightly more realistic direction with this very unrealistic, uh, uh, a story um but you know like but i think one of the things that we still should that we should talk about in terms of like this material like what it what it does want to talk about and which is different than some of the other stories that have been in the marvel films before is that it really is about this question of non-intervention right yeah like before the movie came out everybody's saying yeah like if the if, if they were around if the uh if the eternals were around you know during the holocaust during various genocides why didn't they do anything to stop it? This completely breaks the world of the movie. I'm like, right. actually, no. The movie explains to you why. And right. like it shows this to be a failing of theirs right. and asks you to ask them the question of to do better. Like the movie positions, these characters have been told by who they believe, the person who they believe to be God, basically, that they yeah. should not interfere. Mm-hmm. And they took that to heart because they literally believed this to be the word of God. Right. They should have questioned that. They should have interfered. They should have questioned that. Mm-hmm. And they and so, again, I just sort of think like this is one of those and other moments where I'm like, I think people. This is why I don't offer feedback on trailers, really, because right. I, I think people's cynical readings of that led to some just discourse around the movie that ended up not being related at all to what the actual story is telling. The story is like, yeah, they didn't do anything. That's fucked up, guys. That's one of the things we're making a point about. And one of my, like, few real schadenfreuds I have I had watching people's reactions to the movie was on, um, in one of the Jack Kirby had um, Facebook groups I'm in, somebody in Spain wrote about how offended he was that the movie just sort of holds that the that the conquest of Latin America was genocidal because well, there's more Im- Indians there now than there were before. And I'm like, you know, uh. the fact that this fucking racist in Spain is really upset about being called out on their genocide. That's, that's something that makes me happy <laughs> a little inside. You know, I'm not completely dead. If racists are angry, I'm not, com- I'm not, I'm not going to be dead inside in response to that little moment. Like, yeah, some superhero stuff on, on the screen called that genocide. That's nice. Um, but yeah, like it's really a story about like people fo- just following orders and then, then like questioning that hegemony right. and questioning if that's really what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So, in the end of the day, like I do think, like the main, the main offensive fuck up thing is the is being in Hiroshima. I mean, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah. And I guess I do still sort of go back and forth about, you know, any source material in which the great achievements of humankind and populations of people that are non-European are like in any way possibly ascribable to gods is always a little like. Oh mm, yes, always. Wins. Oh. Anyway, I don't know. I mean, what do you think about that that theme as being the theme for this? Uh, I thought it, wor- it worked fine, and you know I'm I'm a Trekkie, so I'm already like right. Let's let's get at that right. The whole non-intervention. 
that it sounds like a good idea and that the, the moral, uh, the inevitable moral questions that come up with uh, choosing not to interfere with these kinds of things. I thought that worked fine. And it also did a great job informing the characters and how their individual reactions to, to that uh, reality you know, and it set up Druid very nicely, and yes. you, you very much empathized with him that his frustration that they, he could stop this, but you know he's not allowed to. Um, yeah, and they do address that this goes too far, like it's that it's about yeah. you have to strike a balance, you know, like, right, yeah. right, right. So Actually, this might be the only time that a superhero movie has made a you need to strike a balance point, and it was, and it didn't result in me being angry because <laughs> right. of it being like a moderate position, right, um, right. So I'll give it that too. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think for what the film tries to do, it is moderately successful. I think, however, you can't know this material without realizing that it could have gone further and been bigger and just, you know, and I feel a certain amount of conservatism coming from Marvel lately. Mm. Where they don't want to, you know, it's like they feel like, okay, we, we snapped away half of existence. We delivered on this conclusion. And let's, I think there's a, there, there, there very clearly is some fear, you know, at the, at HQ about, you know, the inner circle. Like, how do you move forward when I think a lot of people took Endgame to be the end. Like, okay, great. Mm. No more Chris Evans, no more Robert Downey Jr. Well, that was fun. Let's move on. And. I think that there's an, a feeling that they don't want to really alienate the casual viewer with a lot of, you know, backstory at this point. And it's like, let's let's keep them coming. Let's give them something new, which, again, you you got to give it to the Marvel Studios that they they, they, they this is not this is not the most this is not a, a, a um, corporate kind of decision to make a movie like this. Um, but yeah, I think that the, the the desire to sort of make something that's not too out there, that's not too um, challenging, you know, is is kind of just making them sort of keep to the middle of the road slightly um, with their with their ideas. I mean, not in everything, of course, but um, I definitely feel with Eternals that was definitely clearly uh, well. Let's not make it too too weird. Let's not make it too out there um you know i i'm really surprised and a little disappointed that, that we didn't get into you know this explaining why certain people get exposed to gamma radiation and they become the hulk rather than dying oh. you know oh you know, yeah yeah i, was, I mean because yeah like the, the inhumans and the terrigen mists like the marvel right. has the bones of that kind of stuff in it that could be used to that's a good point exactly you know and that that what are the ramifications of this kind of you know clearly if you got inhumans and they are out there, you know, they're amongst us, you know, have they, can they procreate? Um, they certainly can in the, in the, in the comics, but uh, can they procreate with people? You know, on that, of course, and then that leads to a lot of questions. So, you know, I, I just, uh, and, and, you know, again, there, there is sex, albeit briefly uh, in this, which must be noted for all the people who, uh, you know, complain endlessly about the sex, yeah, but sexlessness. Like it, it, it wasn't sexy. So it was just like, no, are you just doing wasn't. this to check a box? Like, please, you know. It does feel know. a bit like, well, this is, they've been saying this, and maybe Chloe Zhao knows that this is a thing that people say, and so she's like, well, I'm going to do it, and, and, and they're going to do it. And, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it wasn't the most, you know, I mean, it's, it's about as much as you're going to get in a PG-13, um, and it certainly wasn't terribly passionate. And yeah, there's a lot. And, of course, you know, having a, having a, a Fastos be, uh, you know, married to a man and, and have a kiss um but yeah i i mean you know so they're trying to do some things and again that's not necessarily the people who are sort of uh predisposed to being anti-marvel at this point are gonna are not gonna be terribly moved by any of it but you know i guess there 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 was an attempt made it just again it just all feels <laughs> attempt was made yeah yeah, yeah. it all feels I mean, very I just conservative that, I, you know but i i also think like but things that are coming from corporate i kind of suspect that one of the reasons why the movie introduced 10 Eternals instead of like five or six, which is probably what you want, is because they 
they wanted to introduce some diverse characters, but they also wanted there to be white men. And so if you want there to be white men and like a Hollywood actress, white woman star like Angelina Jolie, and you also want to bring some diversity in, next thing you know, there's 10 characters. Yes. And, they, so, and, and you're killing uh, uh, a lot of people, people of color. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I do think yeah. that this was like, the cast is large for diversity, but not in a good way. Like, right. the, the good way would be to just not have as many white men and to have more substantial roles for the characters of color you created. Right. Like. Right. Who? And, and you know, again, a lot of them are quite popular. I feel like the, yeah. as we, you know, said earlier, like, you know, Makari in many ways was kind of one of the breakouts. And, you know, I hope yeah. we see. I hope we see more I mean, it's of gonna her. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be her in Druid and Guardians is going to be has isn't going to be is has potential to be very cool. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, but like if not, ha- I mean, and the actor who plays Druid is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But like, if the cost of like not having an overpacked new team means like we don't have him, we have like, and so there's more interesting work to be done with um, Gilgamesh instead. Like, so be mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? Like, right. you have to cut something, and maybe you need to cut white men this time, guys. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of um, Angelina Jolie's performance and her whole thing? Yeah. Um, I wasn't thrilled. I, I mean, you know, look, it, it, it's... We haven't even seen Angelina Jolie. Like, forget about her, not her injury coming into the Marvel Universe. We just haven't seen her very much. Um, you know, in the last 10 years. And so it was great to just see her on screen. And of course, I mean, she's kind of perfect for someone who's believable as this sort of, you know, not of, not quite of this earth space goddess. Um, uh, and you know, she certainly seemed to have some fun. Um, the choice to give her the sort of PTSD, you know, obviously that kind of limited her. Um, it just, yeah, it's very interesting that Cersei, I just feel like normally Fina would have clearly been sort of the, the, the lead character, especially if she didn't have to contend with this condition. Um, yeah. She's just sort of, you know, if you're looking at right now, which of them is going to break out and possibly join the Avengers? And I have no idea that that's what they're going to do at all. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Fina clearly is the one who's who you would expect to be the leader of the team or the, the, the second in command after Ajax. And, you know, so going with Cersei is interesting. And, and you know, and again, we've already sort of litigated to talk about her. Um, and sort of, you know, they instead choose to sort of do the the thing with Cersei where she possibly has a lot more power that she hasn't really tapped um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and has the potential to become the most powerful of the all of them, etc. Um, so, you know, I think I echo what most people have said about Jolie is that, you know, it's nice to see her, but it all felt kind of like you still felt like she wasn't there. Her presence as well as Sama Hayek's presence felt like it could have been bigger and you know oh absolutely you know like if you're gonna have those two like please use them right you know i like i like my my friend felicia perez who i referenced earlier she had a great take on sir on on thena which was that she liked that being the white woman who's the one who's like stuck reliving the trauma of the terrible thing she's done like she's like struggling with her memory of the terrible Mm. thing she's done she's like she's like i like that being the white woman character who's carrying that burden i'm like yeah that that's a very that good is point. Inter- right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, that is interesting. I like it. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else we want to cover or you think we've, we got it? Oh, I was going to ask you about up the way they're seeding, like the upcoming Blade stuff. I mean, I'm not a big person for talking about stuff before we know much, but if you have right. anything you want to talk about for it, go at, go for it. Yeah, I thought that, um, I felt like the, you know, Dane Whitman, you know, this is, again, the kind of thing people really roll their eyes with with Marvel as, like, you know, kind of slipping him in there and the obvious the obvious sort of, like, uh, name, you know, recognition from Game of Thrones and her, him being reunited with his former brother, uh, on-screen brother. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it's too early to tell. It's, it didn't bother me as such, but it didn't add much. I didn't really get the point of just having Blade's voice, except that maybe they're not ready to reveal much about him. The fact that it appears that Blade will be working with the Black Knight, well, okay, that's interesting. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it's way too early to tell. I mean, I'll, I think Blade's going to be interesting because already people have their knives out uh, 
no pun, inten- <laughs> no pun intended, because they know this is not going to be what the previous Blade was. This is not going to be R-rated. This is not going to, you know, this is going to be PG-13. Um, this is going to be, go only go so far. And Blade, let's, you know, Wesley Snipes' Blade is, is you know, pretty beloved. And, yeah. you know, even even I, am, I, I admit, even I was very kind of bummed out because I was kind of always, in my head, Blade was already canon with the in the MCU. I just mm. always told myself that this was the MC, you know, this is the 90s while Tony Stark's partying, you know, not too far away, Blade is, is ha- just underground, Blade is hacking right. vampires. And, you know, I, right. I always kind of hoped that Snipes would come back. Now, Snipes, you know, has his issues and his baggage, and I think, and, and of course, he's he's older, and um, yeah. they 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 decided to recast instead, which Wesley's clearly cannot even pretend to not have feelings about. Um, so yeah, that's going to be a very interesting, um, you know, for a lot of levels, and then moving into sort of a horror type thing. Although, you know, yeah, so and who you know, it's again too early to tell. Uh, it'll be kind of amusing to see Kit Harrington, sw- you know, swinging another magic sword around. But you know, mm-hmm. hey, it's it's I, I I understand why you cast him that way. I I, I yeah I I like him. Um, it just struck me now, and now I'm horrified again. I'm breaking my own rule about speculating, but like, oh fuck, <laughs> if they make this into a black cop, white cop, buddy cop kind of situation, I will be right. likely unamused. Right. Um, like, despite having just, great affection for both actors, I'm like, please, please don't do that to me. I can just see the the camera whipping around them as they're back to back with their swords, you know, <laughs> ready to go to cut down all the all the undead that are uh, lunging at them. Um, oh, so yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. I when I realized that he was the oh okay, so Blade, you know, the Black Knight coming in, you know, with his sword and Blade with his. So okay, um, that's a that's a way to go. Um, and it's funny because I do kind of the Black Knight does like register with me because I was an '80s uh, comic book reader, and you know he was a pretty big '80s Avenger. So um, yeah, when I started reading it, he was one of the he was one of the sort of stalwarts uh, in the Janet Van Dyne's oh. era, the the and also Monica Rambeau when she was yes a uh, uh, captain, you know so. Yeah, so I, I have some. So for for, it, for newer listeners, a for newer listeners who don't know the old comics, Captain Marvel, the black woman Captain Marvel, Monica Rambeau, was in charge. She was chairwoman of the Avengers in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, that's a thing that happened before. Okay, guys. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, yes. And, yeah, and and a and a and a non hyper powered like. A white woman who's a bit of a party girl also ran the Avengers back right. in the day, Janet Van Dyne. So Another, the fact that we haven't had a woman running the Avengers yet in Marvel yes. movies is backwards of where the comics was decades ago. Another example of the the party girl who must be turned into a uh, a nerd because that's feminism, mm-hmm. you know. Because yep. yes, yep. I mean we don't even know anything about Janet Van Dyne, and I hope we get to see a bit of her in. Uh, um, in in the next Ant Man, but right, it's like that's that's you know she's a that's her character and she's kind of unrepentant and you still respect her and she's still a leader even though yeah she's a yep. rich girl who likes to buy things and likes to party but you know this is not the way and and you know we'll see but I mean all these movies are just getting so overcrowded I mean I yeah. just heard Benedict Cumberbatch almost making a joke about. Uh, feeling like a guest star in 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 the Doctor Strange movie, you know, like that that is mm. supposed to be his second go round, and also they waited so long for these guys to get their second film, you know, Black Panther, right. and with and all the issues that's come up with that, and, and Doctor Strange, and yeah, they're just they're overpacking these movies so much, they're introducing so many characters that yeah, I, I don't I I do fear that we're never going to get a trilogy that really satisfies. Um, I feel like Iron Man's got the really the best trilogy, even as much as you might hate the second one and the third one's polarizing. But I mean, you, there is an arc. You know, he he mm. is one character in the first film, and he is another, another guy at the end of the third film. And even Captain America's trilogy kind of got stepped on because it has to kind of become an Avengers film and the you know the third one. So yeah, I I, I feel like this is a big becoming a problem, um, and and we'll see how how it it rectifies. But the introduction of the multiverse is just kind of potentially opening up a big you know again this overcrowding problem because 
it's like they're they're so scared now about you know keeping us hooked with spectacle but at the cost of character and at the cost of all the things that i think are equally compelling maybe more so for those of us who grew up with the characters but you know it's yeah i i i'm a little concerned there for them and with that thank you for joining us again tell our listeners where they can keep up with your work well, I am. Uh, I pop up here and there, but the best place to find me is on Twitter under the uh, the moniker Genius Bastard. It's a film school in joke. I don't think of myself as either uh, Genius Bastard. <laughs> one word uh, on Twitter. Um, so if you find me there, I'll, you'll you, you'll definitely find everything else I'm doing out there. And I, of course, am on Twitter a little bit too much. E L A N A underscore Brooklyn. Uh, forthcoming, we'll be having coverage of Young Justice, the co- the the, uh, the animated show that is just continues to delight. Um, season four, and we'll be having the finale of Doom Patrol on the on the show. I have interviews coming up with Tina Horn, who'll be back to talk about SFSX. There, or I guess Safe Sex. I can never quite pronounce it right, but they're very exciting to have. Like to have the the to have a whole like graphic novel. Of, set in that world back with me again and stephanie steph williams um who's writing the amazing nubia comic for dc will be joining back to talk about her book as well uh and so this is graphic policy radio and that is why we say keep it geeky